felt like they were going a little too far for especially for my young angsty teenage rock rocker mentality at the time <laughs> totally and we were like that was when mtv actually showed videos yeah. all the time and that was what we were getting inundated like it was it really was sex drugs and rock and roll like that was all a total well i mean maybe not the drugs yeah. for everybody but like sex and rock and roll were huge and i was a i remember I was a young, not even maybe teenage boy when MTV came out. And, um, you know, being the son of a pastor, we were absolutely not allowed to watch that. And we had to go to our friends' houses and beg them to turn on MTV. Bienvenue, which is welcome in French. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted Podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the podcast host and the creator of Daddy Unscripted. Yes, I welcome you in a different language every episode. And I just realized, shockingly, that I've never done French. I'm not sure how that's happened, but I haven't. So here we are today with a great episode with Michael Shields or Mike Shields. I never asked him what he went by, and I've heard some people call him Mikey. So I'm assuming you can go with any version of that. I'm not sure if you can go as far as like Mikhail or Mikhail or anything like that. But Mike Shields is an awesome guy who is part of the Osiris Podcast Network with myself um, and the Daddy Unscripted Podcast. He's actually involved with three different Osiris podcasts, which is probably the world record so far. He is the creator of the Across the Margin podcast. He is part of the Godween Evan podcast, which if you listen to my episode with comedian Evan Kaufman, you got to hear about some of that. And he also is part of the Welcome to the Party Pal podcast, which is also really cool and different. I love that podcast too. So let me have a little moment of your time to have somebody tell you a little bit more about the Osiris Podcast Network. Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris Podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com. Okay, and there it is. So without taking too much more of your time with this intro, let's get right to my episode. And I I didn't do like a formal greeting or anything. So this is going to really hit the ground running like Indiana Jones on a horse jumping onto a car or something like that. Like it's really just hitting the ground running. So here is my conversation with Mike Shields. father was a pastor and, and and that affected you know kind of what you can intake my parents are pretty religious themselves and for some reason they couldn't care less about they i like really? they are they're really like they're my, my father's he's a pastor at his at his uh church down there in orlando he doesn't mess around with this type of stuff but for some reason he just didn't care he, like i talk about on welcome to the party pal from time to time like R-rated movies were not a thing at an early age. MTV, mm-hmm. it was all good. I, they just, I think, they, I think, I think they were just happy I was distracted and not causing trouble or something. But yeah, yeah. they were not censoring what I was taking in, and uh, I'd like to go ahead and thank them for that. <laughs> but I will, I will always give uh, my parents a lot of credit because I mean, I, I did. I, I guess you know, I am kind of like the typical black sheep, if you will. I mean, they are very religious. Our politics um, don't jive so much, but um, they have always been so supportive. And they've always just, you know, kind of, I, I there's almost not just supportive, but I, I could see and almost sense a sort of pride sometimes in that difference. Mm-hmm. Meaning that they, they would see somebody that's, you know, kind of, got these thoughts of his own and these passions of his own. And, and although they're probably, you know, inside boiling at some of them and whatnot, uh, I, I, like, 
is sometimes I can really feel a sense of, uh, of pride that like, you know, we raised one of ours is out there on his own doing this thing, but he strongly believes in these ideas and, and, and that's cool. He's, he's ours still, you know, we, we love him regardless, you know, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. That uh, I, I'm sure since your dad was in or is in the position he's in, you probably heard the term unconditional love. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, uh, my, my parents use that a lot on me. Do they, do they really? Yes. <laughs> they did when I was a kid as the, as one of the black sheep in my family, I heard a lot of, we love you unconditionally. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it was just not straight love. They had to make sure they 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 noted that this is unconditional. This is love because we have to, right? Yeah, or, or because it just happens that 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 way, which is which is a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when you do have these children, they are. I guess one of the uh, uh, things I learned when I first had a daughter is, as watching them grow, I didn't fully understand how unique they would be. I don't know if that makes, if that sounds crazy. I just didn't understand mm-hmm. how you started seeing it early on with my daughter. And I'm sure everyone does when you realize, yes, you know, they're learning things from you, but just right off the bat, they're their complete own being. Mm-hmm. And that is just, that's one of those beautiful first moments you have with a child. And you're just like, it's there's this individual thing that is, I guess, looks like the sum of the parts of its parents, but they're their own. Right. It's yeah, wild. they're kind of your little mini me's, but they also are there many thems. Yeah, they have their own free will and d- dharmit. They're going to use it. I yeah. think I said dharmit right there. Yeah, I was, so I was, I was, darmit. It was a mix. Be- <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't decide between damn it and darn it. I went with dharmit. And just, just like your father invented sling, you just invented a new word. Yep. <laughs> so let's let's kick it back because we've been all over the place. Really introduce <laughs> you, like do any of that kind of stuff. Let's go back to your dad, even a little bit to your mom there to talk about all of the siblings. But what year was your, or even time frame was your dad born? What was his um, sibling story? And if it makes sense, like anything about his dad possibly yeah well he was um he's from the new haven area um so he was a uh, kind of a product of the 60s i would say he was you know he was a uh, of age to go to vietnam one thing we always were always very thankful for he had a fucked up uh, pardon me a messed up knee uh, it's okay i put the little red e on this oh great for all oh good people. i was i i got a potty mouth man are you saying that because of my garment <laughs> yeah, that I said? Exactly. I need to. I need to. I need to utilize words like "darmit." But he had a messed up knee that kept him uh, out of out of Vietnam, which we always, you know, thank for us being here. Yeah. Being here. But um, his father was uh, military. He was in the Navy, and um, I think he hit the bottle pretty hard. My dad does not drink and stays far away from it, and. He won't really talk about it much, but um, everything that you know, us siblings uh, get a word about is that uh, it was pretty hard on him. His father's mm-hmm. issues with that growing up. He came back. He was in the Korean War, and you know, a lot of things to explain for what he was dealing with with that. But um, he was yeah. the oldest sibling. He's had two two younger kids, uh, my aunt and my uncle, and I think he took a lot of a uh, lot of that on and kind of. And they were not wealthy. They, I mean, I'll go so far as to say they were pretty impoverished growing up in New Haven. And uh, I think that really built his character and, and who he became. And he uh, he he ended up working, uh, going to Yukon and becoming a, a businessman. But he studied engineering, but then went into business and uh, made quite a success of himself. He's, I mean, he's, it's, you know, it's cliche, but he's no doubt a self-made man. Mm-hmm. Who took? Uh, I think found a lot of solace in religion, as as we discussed, and and then in his future wife, my mom Nancy, he uh, he he kept it straight and narrow, and 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 really was purposeful, and uh, and kind of getting it getting it as right as he could because he didn't have it as right as he could, mm-hmm. uh, and that's something I'm I'm proud of, grateful for. You know, it's it's like I said, the apple has with me fallen far from the tree in, in, in many different ways. But 
I couldn't respect, you know, the way he did things more. Yeah. Um, and the reasons behind that. So he met my mother at UConn and she, um, she, it's wild because she did have the nine siblings, this big family from New England, but that whole family she's from, they're pretty amazing. They all are tight. They, um, a credit to my grandparents on that side of the family. It's, it's just this amazing group of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, upper middle class New England people who, you know, mm-hmm. very, uh, yeah, they've all they've all done really well for themselves, but they've all. It's, it's, I always think about uh, this letter my uh, grandfather sent, wrote to the nine of the kids right before he passed, and I actually have a copy of it. I made my mother make a copy of it, and he asked them all. He he made a point to, you know, he realized that as all the families are growing and some are doing better than others, and he's just like, do not let jealousy or or or, or the different things you all go through, each family will go through different things. Don't get caught up in, in any sort of competition or, you know, make sure to focus on, you know, the bonds at that time, not the things that would tear us apart. And that always, that like the foresight that he had to make sure he let them know before he was, he was gone, that there are going to be these, you know, reasons to, kind of simple reasons, dumb reasons to get aggravated with each other. It's just like, don't let it, don't let that happen, which was always cool. So yeah, I've been pretty lucky with the, with the parents situation. Um, they have through all my uh, wild high school years where I definitely uh, pushed back towards independence and, and uh, fell in love with bands and maybe traveled with said bands and whatever. Uh, they've, they, they've stuck with me through the whole thing and they've been pretty awesome. So I, Count blessings there, to say the least. So where where were you born and where did you grow up? I grew up in Connecticut. So it was my uh, father's job was for Aetna. It's an insurance company. Hartford is the insurance capital of the world, or was at some point. And uh, so it was right outside of Hartford. It was called Glastonbury. I lived there through uh, high school, halfway through high school. This is, this is where things get really angsty for me because... My older two siblings, you know, they went through high school, went to college, went to some New England college. And then it was me and my younger brother around halfway through high school. My uh, father gets fired from Aetna, mm. uh, kind of blindsided. And you know how it is. I'm, I'm, I'm 16. Things are going. Things, you know, I'm going to be up and up. Like, it's, it's just having fun in high school. I've been with the same group of friends forever. And um, all of a sudden, he's you know, sitting me and my little brother down and he's like, we're, uh, we're, we're either moving to Virginia or Texas. And, oh, gosh. and yeah, and it's, I mean, as, as privileged a problem as it could be, this was, this was like a nightmare for me. I'm like, this is like, yeah, really, yeah. I think my little brother, uh, to his credit, and he's always been more mature than me was kind of like, he's, he was a little younger. So he's around eighth grade about to start high school. He's like, yeah, wherever I start high school, it's a new beginning anyways. I'm getting ripped in my mind. I'm getting ripped from the middle yeah. of like my experience, my, what, what I thought was owed to me, my high school experience is owed to me. And so I think I made a scene, definitely not Texas or whatever. And, and I, we ended up in Northern Virginia and that was, that was a hard year for me. That was like, I, I know what it's like to sit at a lunch table for like four months by myself and people were great to me. And I, I, you know, eventually made some of my best friends in my life at that high school and everything. But, I, but at first you, when you end up in a situation like that, you do walk into established clicks. Everything's kind of rolling as things were rolling with me back in Connecticut. So I understand why I was, and it actually, um, kind of for a laugh, it, it was actually, it was a real, it was a Catholic high school, but it was a real druggy scene. So I come hmm. in and I got my kind of like rock and roll fish mentality going on. There were some people there who thought I might've been a narc, uh-huh. you know, cause I'm like a new kid coming in and just like, knows yeah, like, yeah. you know, I know all about like bathtub gins and like all these wild, like whatever, like things <laughs> you've, <laughs> You've rehearsed your. Uh, <laughs> I've rehearsed play well. my play well, and so yeah, whatever. Yeah. It was it was it was a a tough transition, and I I I know I was not a good son during that period, but I was having a hard time. But uh, 
I did get to circle around when I kind of came to and, you know, I ended up going to college that I loved in Virginia. That would have never happened if I didn't move down to Virginia. I went to Virginia Tech. I loved it down there in Blacksburg, Virginia. Uh, so many of my friends, as I mentioned, that are lifelong friends came from that high school in uh, Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. I did have the opportunity to years later on kind of sit my parents down and be like, uh, A, I'm sorry. You know, you have to understand that was hard of me. I didn't know what was going on. And But B, thank you. Because that was actually one of the best things to happen to me in my life. It was getting me out of a kind of like a normal routine. It challenged me. It helped me, uh, you know, find ways to meet new people. Uh, it just kind of opened up my world. I remember when I went to college two years later, a lot of people, that was their first experience being away and meeting new people. I was mm-hmm. like, this is a breeze. Like, <laughs> yeah, this this is is easy. I just did this. Like, I'm like, where's everyone at? Like, like my transition to college couldn't have been more delightful. And it was definitely because yeah. of that. So, you know, when people ask me where I'm from, I, uh, I actually have a hard time with that answer. Cause like, yes, the answer is Connecticut, but, uh, I kind of came to, and my formative years were without a doubt in, uh, uh Virginia. So I don't know, I don't mm-hmm. know exactly, um, what that answer is, but that's, I mean, that's so cool that it ended up being that when it was, I mean, God, I can only imagine like at that age because for me too, and I hadn't been tight with my friends at school only since like seventh grade because I went to a different school uh, uh-huh. at that point that was in a completely different city and everything. But I can imagine like my parents ripping me out of that core that I was in. And 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 for almost any 16-year-old, yeah. like that is a massive, massive freak show of a change like what are you doing yeah. to me? No, yeah, you you take it personal. You're like you you like it's yeah. I that's the thing. The lack of uh, foresight of someone at that age, I couldn't see what this was doing. I mean, my I was so I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I was so adamant about not making this move happen. I was such a dick that my my dad. <laughs> and I'm not going to apologize, but I deserve that. I was such a dick. That's um, okay. That for like. The first three months of when he did get his job in Northern Virginia, he's like, all right, I'm going to see, you know, what happens here. I'm going to give it a go. So he was flying down during the week away from the, the wife that he loved and, 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 and the kids that he loved and spending the week there and coming back on the weekends just to like kind of appease me for wow. a minute or, or, or just, and also yeah, to, yeah. you know, get, get a feel of the job and see, making sure it was working. Uh, but he was doing that mostly for me. And then after, after a while, right. he, he was just like this, I just can't, this, this is not working. And, you know, but he did, he was, he was trying to find a way to make it work my, you know, easier for you. And yeah, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. That's, it, it is crazy. Like, you know, every once in a while I have that conversation with my wife about our kids who are six and 10 and that reminder of, they don't fully grasp what they are wanting us to do for them or what they are quote unquote demanding of us. We need to remember, like you got to flex your muscle every once in a while and be the parent. And for a 16 year old to be able to see and no slight on you, I think this is absolutely the course for a human brain that is at that point of development to see the level of selfishness of sorry dad you just yeah. lost your job but are you insane <laughs> you think you're moving me out of my circle of friends you're crazy <laughs> yeah just for social reasons i was i was worried about my whole life coming apart and yeah. his you know career was coming apart it's funny he did end up going down to work for freddie mac uh and i don't know if you know anything about kind of the fallout of a uh, economic things that uh, occurred, but Freddie Mac was kind of at the heart of, uh, of some of the things. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was wild to hear because like, during some of the more trying times, uh, you know, he would be lamenting to his kids who don't care about how they were asking him to, you know, make loans he shouldn't. Or I, w- I think I would more overhear him talking to my mom at the table about like, 
you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's happening here, but this, this, this isn't going so well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like the, it's like the kids of, uh, parents that were involved in Watergate like yeah. you're just sitting there having a nice dinner and they're like I'm not really sure if this is on the up and up or yeah. not yeah yeah it's it's over your head but you can feel the seriousness yeah. of it you can feel it you're like yeah. you could see it like you could see the forehead forehead rub like like I, I like I need to go for the sake of the food on this table here I need to go to work tomorrow but at work tomorrow they're uh, they're not allowing me, but asking me to do things that, that, yeah. uh, that aren't so hot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The difference of, uh, I talk about this a lot with people as well. Like what we now realize as we get older of things that we saw, heard, experienced as kids that just went over our heads. Like yeah. I, I've had this conversation, you know, with my wife about our kids who are, in the room and and you know i i think we are semi-conservative with our kids we just are trying to not you know catapult them into everything all at once and i i try to not be as heavy-handed and i don't feel like we're really restricting them at this point yet okay Um, i know that day will come yeah but not um, even the 10 year old no, not really. She's very, she, I, I think she's just kind of like grasped where we are with stuff. And okay. so fortunately at this point, she starts middle school next year. So I mm. told my wife this weekend, actually, I said, we're getting closer and closer to the sex talk. Like, yep. at least to some extent, like we, we don't need to, I don't know what the 80s version of sex video of red pavement <laughs> would be red asphalt yep. it's probably a horrible segue for people who have no idea what that means google it red asphalt it was red asphalt right yep i believe it was that's like the worst hey i'm gonna talk to you about a sex video for kids and i'm gonna mention the words red asphalt it's probably <laughs> not a great job on my part but red asphalt was the scared straight video that they would show you for dmv stuff yeah so what i was trying to say is i don't know what the equivalent of, of that, that is for, for the sex, sex education <laughs> so little caveat here is i don't claim to be an expert at anything really aside from being a fan of red Sox baseball <laughs> and how, like, did, how did that happen by the way you're from california right yeah, that's a whole nother story. But that's that's part of the dad thing, I guess, is I loved rooting against my dad. Got it. And he was a hometown person. And so when he rooted for the Lakers, I rooted for the Celtics. Yep. My dad being close to uh, New Haven. New Haven's kind of on the tray line. You could take the Metro North right into the city. So he became a big Yankee fan. And uh, it was one thing we really bonded over in our life. There are two things. It was sports that, well, sports and movies, I think, are two things that really connected me to my father. And uh, he would just take me. He knew I loved film early on. And he would just grab me. And not only would we have that time on the way to the movies, before the movies, you know, when we're sitting there where he would just, you know, kind of, that was when we got to talk. But also movies always acted as a kind of a platform for discussion, whereas, you know, yeah, some of the waiter movies we would see or things would happen that, that would cause me to ask questions or or him to ask a question of me about where I'm at. And I, I'm, I am already seeing this with my daughter. We watch films and she's like, Daddy, what about that? What about that? And there's some power in film in that way. And that's something that's kind of like moving on down through, you know, my father to me, to me, to my daughter. It's kind of a cool tool. Yeah. I think there's there's so much to the arts and all of that that enables and and like you said like can make so many conversations happen and can bring up great subjects that maybe would never come up and maybe aren't really important to come up or anything like that but can help you have that deeper understanding of one one another and yep any any of that discussion, especially with, I mean, think back to when you were a kid and doing that with your dad, like all of that is 
or good. Yeah. Even if it is, even if the only thing that is coming out of it is the memory that it creates for you later, like even if you're not reinventing the wheel or deciding how you're going to judge or not judge people by their religion or color, like even if it is a talk that's coming out of Ernest goes to camp. Yep. Yep. Um, there, there is a positive from that, not only from just the experience that you are sharing together, but that conversation afterwards that, you know, for me, my dad passed away a long time ago. And I, any of those conversations that I can recall are like golden, obviously yeah. to me. So yeah, those are ch- cherished things you keep in your back pocket that, that always be with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. that's great that you are tacking that along. So Tell me where you are with your dad now. I don't think we've ever discussed that. Uh, pretty good place. We, um, you know what? Something pretty serious happened there uh, about two years ago. He almost he almost passed. He uh, mm. he was jogging. Uh, they have a place and uh, they do their uh, him and my mother do their winters in Orlando, Florida, near where my little brother lives. And then they do their summers in Cape Cod, where we always summered at uh, Falmouth, Massachusetts. Hmm. So he's a jogger. He's always been a runner. And he was jogging, has a heart attack while he's running. And um, he falls to the ground. I can't even imagine what my mother is experiencing right there when he's on the ground. And he's, I mean, he's literally passing. And uh, perchance, someone who works for, I think it's like the Cape Cod Ecological group or some, some sort of environmentalist company that they have over in uh, Falmouth, Massachusetts is driving by with his truck. He, he stops and sees my father on the ground and he happens to have with him a defibrillator. Oh my, you, I've wait, got to be kidding. Wait, wait, wait. You think that's crazy. He has that defibrillator with them because he got it that day. That day he got that defibrillator. He's part of the family now. His name's Chuck. He's, he's our guy. <laughs> He's become part yeah. of the family. He um he got it that day because his father passed from a heart attack, and I oh, guess he, they, wow. they they were at a place where they should have had a defibrillator. Something something happened in his life, and I can't speak on the specifics. Where it was so important for him to have one in his truck, so he like kept pushing his boss, pushing his boss. He's like, "I'm sick of driving around without one. I'm sick of driving around without a defibrillator. This is like not cool. Not like." It, it just meant something to him. And so he, that morning, it finally happened where he was given the defibrillator. And so he's driving by and sees someone on the side of the road down, is able to use it on him, um, you know, buy time for the paramedics to uh, to come. And, I mean, things weren't good then. we, I mean, me and my siblings sat with my father for two days and, mm-hmm. in, a, in a coma you know, and, and while they froze them and whole thing. And it's, it was messed up. So many people were coming, so much families coming by and they are, their mindset is they're, they're coming to say like almost goodbye to him. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I'm like, and there's certain people who are saying things like, like of, of that ill, like almost mm-hmm. like, yeah, your father was and like, what, and I'm like, you know, get out of here. This is, this, he's, he's going to be fine. Yeah. Like he's, you know, like there's not one, you know, that was, you know, that angsty teenage kid came out again, but like, I was, but like, yeah, no, we sat with him for a couple of days and he, he did, he came around from the whole thing and it was just, it was, it was wild. And, and just one of those experiences that like, you know, we were good anyways at that point, you know, like I said, I came around and was able to, you know, get past those, those years where there was divisiveness and everything like that. But, uh, but especially now something like that definitely makes you realize and made the whole family realize, you know, it could be gone at any moment. And especially yeah. we found out pretty quick how bad uh, heart disease runs in the family. I mean, his heart now is like the, you know, it's like a machine. There's, I mean, the amount of stints and, and pains and uh, you know, pace made, whatever is it's all, yeah, yeah. it's it's all in there. And so, you know, it is a machine. It's a machine. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a whole machine right now. So, you know, you, you, just don't you don't take anything for granted and yeah. not that you should anyways but i mean something like that will definitely heighten yeah that's that slaps you in the face yeah absolutely so yes we're we're in an awesome place he's uh like i said earlier couldn't be more fortunate with the uh 
parental situation at this point in that they're, you know, lucky they're still here. Yeah, that is a crazy story. It's not. Chuck, thank you. I don't know. I'll send you, I'll have to send you the link to this, but uh, I, we still can't get over. We actually got the opportunity to nominate him for the uh, the American Heart Association Award. And there was an event one night and just, you know, he uh, we, we've got to give him praise due in many ways, which has been awesome. That's cool. Yeah. I, I'm sure that was a uh, huge moment in his life, especially with what had happened in his own life. That's absolutely. He can't get out. He's still. You can tell he still can't get over it because he doesn't. You know, even um, as a religious man, and I think this kind of confused him a little bit because he doesn't remember anything when he was out. And I think someone who was is ultra religious would obviously be confused about the fact that they didn't have any like he did kind of pass he, mm-hmm. i mean he had to be brought back and he doesn't have any of those you know those wondrous tunnel story yes he doesn't have. you just like he will look at you blakely he's like i don't remember anything till i came to into that hospital and you know all four of his kids and his wife were standing there like yeah <laughs> like yeah, you know yeah. he's like he has nothing there and it's so surreal to him because then he has to think about what his wife went through that day or Mm -hmm. what, you know, there was one night, you know, we all took turns, but there was one night where I just sat with him all night and held his hand throughout the entire night. And one night my sister stayed with him all night. And he just thinks about those times. It's like what that must have, that's, I mean, shows the type of person he is that he's thinking about that, but he was thinking about what we, yeah, what we went through. And, and he just, (laughs) he keeps, you know what he keeps apologizing about is uh heart disease now he's like oh man he's like i'm pretty sure i gave you a bum heart <laughs> like <laughs> so sorry yeah so sorry about that and it's funny but true wow yeah that's phenomenal i'm, yeah. I'm glad he obviously i mean goes without saying but i'm glad that he pulled through that i'm sure that yeah. must have been a a massive eye-opener and wrapped in very traumatic experience but something yeah, kind of like what we were talking about before. Like it gives you that opportunity to turn anything that you needed to turn around. It's like, yeah. okay, now I'm moving forward in this different direction with a totally different mindset because of X, Y, and Z. I uh, in it hap- It took like a year or so afterwards, but uh, I was I was a pretty hardcore cigarette smoker at the point, and mm-hmm. it was something like that. I was just like, this can't go. Like I said, it's an aside. It just something else the bigger things were not taking relationships and you know especially from family relationships for granted but like i was just like that had to go and so the minute i made that decision based on this experience it was kind of easy like this Mm -hmm. this just can't be around me and which is something that could be life-saving in its own right and also you know keeps me around longer for uh the little lady in my life that little seven-year-old you know i mean she 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 can't have someone, you know, in her life who's who's doing something that's you know could take it take her away. Yeah, that's uh, for me. My biggest vice, I guess, is that I just am not fit. Like I don't mm. exercise, I don't work out, I don't do that kind of stuff, and that has been weighing more a lot more heavily on me for the others in my life. Yeah. Really, like so, yeah, you know, it almost becomes a responsibility, not just to yourself. Totally. But to, <laughs> it was, it's funny. I remember me, me and Evan were talking um, the other night after a tape and a God, me and Evan, and I, we got deep into climate change and, you know, I'm, I'm deeply political and, and I'm not an activist. Uh, I won't use that word because I respect uh, hardcore activists too much, but you know, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm out there, but we were talking about climate change and how it affects our kids. And, you know, we kind of everything kept tumbling to, you know, what our responsibility is to our children. Um, and I've ever like towards the end of the conversation, I'm like, man, I just, I'm starting to find it so exhausting. Like, cause like before I had a child, I could have, as this might sound morose, but I don't mean it that morose. Like I could have disappeared and like, it wouldn't have mattered as much. I mean, I'm sure it would matter to yeah. people, but like to some people. Yeah. But like to this one being right now, this, my daughter, like it would mean the world. Like, yeah. like, and just so like, I need to, <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, man, this is exhausting, Evan. This is exhausting to think about, but like, I need to stay, I need to stick around as long as I can for her because mm-hmm. like, it's, I know 
I know how much she loves me and I know how much she wants me around. And, you know, it's just, there is that responsibility. So when are you going to start running, Tim? Oh God. It, it, <laughs> it stops. It starts with walking. Elliptical. Bas- One word. Yeah, elliptical. Yeah. That's what my wife, every once in a while, will look, will look up ads for like a rowing machine yeah. or an elliptical machine or something that we can just throw in the garage and get me doing stuff. Well, I, you know what? That's it, the thing though. You have to find what works for you. There, There is totally. something that's going to work for you. No question about it. Just find, oh, yeah. you know, sounds like walking's working for you now. And that is something. So let's go to where that is for that little girl of yours. I know, I know now that she was born seven years ago, but she was. tell me a little, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, she was born in New York. She is, she is, uh, as cliche as I said, the apple of this man's eye. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I realized right away? I was, like I said, I was thinking a lot today about a lot of things, but before coming on here, this is the power that daddy unscripted has. You, you have your guests thinking about life before they come on. I love it. And uh, I think that's awesome. I just learned so quickly how much of a maniac, I could be when, when you care about something. So when she was born, her lip was quivering when Mm -hmm. she came out. And uh, I forget exactly what that could mean, but uh, in the hospital, they were like, you know, they took her and, and had to, they're like, we need to take her up. I I actually was looking it up today. I just ran out of time to find out exactly what they were concerned about. It was, it was a valid concern. So, when she was taken away, I mean, obviously I had all these ideas of like when she was first born and so, so did her mother and we wanted to, you know, have her there and hold her and skin to skin, the whole thing. That's like, and, but we also wanted her to be healthy. And so at first we're like, yes, do whatever you want. And then some time went by and I'm waiting and then I'm like, uh, like the craziness kicked in immediately and I'm just like, no. This is no, this is not okay. So like I, you know, kind of stormed out, found out where she was. And I found myself kind of yelling at, 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 at these probably wonderful nurses, the, the undoubtedly wonderful nurses. And just like, no, no, like give me my child back. She's right there. Like and she's yeah. amongst all these other kids. And I, they had to kind of warm her up or something. And, and, <laughs> and I think back about it now, like in that moment, I can almost understand all these crazy clips you see of like, crazy dads at like like a soccer game where like their son gets checked or something or gets hit <laughs> like when they get out of the field or yelling at the coach like you just realize that at, right away I would do anything for her. and like it just seemed it was so surreal to kind of come to grips of like it was like like your heart's ripped out of your body and that heart becomes this living breathing thing Mm-hmm. And and just like I just I don't know I did I always thought I'm always been kind of like cool in like the mellow sort of way laid back and you know kind of rolls with the punches until that moment when I would I was about I would have done anything just to like steal her back and and make sure that you know we can hold her in her first moments of life and it was a surreal experience right off the bat yeah. That will tack on as if you really needed it. <laughs> that extra kick of like, this is your child, and what will you do to protect? That would be an interesting like hospital, not scam, but like this extra ploy <laughs> of tactics to determine how strong-willed parents yeah. are. Like. To- do some kind of funky test like Take that. Take him away and, for a little okay. bit. See see the reaction. That's, that's yep. a messed up yep. fatherly sort of hug. Yes, like uh, like Ashton Kutcher like coming in and taking the, oh, we were just co- kidding. Here's your kid back. Yeah. We just wanted to make sure that you really want <laughs> yeah. your child. And you are going to have some lawyers calling you later today. But... Uh, you do get to take your child home in a couple of weeks after your incarceration. <laughs> I love that idea. If, if you if you didn't care that they took it right away, yeah. you're like, oh, whatever. Like you don't get your kid. Like yeah, we're giving up for adoption. Yeah, we're actually as soon as this uh, next dad gets done with his prison term for what <laughs> he did when we took his child away, we're giving him your child as a bonus to kind of kind of parallel to what I was saying when um. Oh, almost losing my father. Yeah. There was a point uh, when uh, Madeline, Madeline's my daughter's name, 
where she was around too, where I had, and this is even comparably to those couple of days where, where my father was gone, definitely the worst couple of days of my life where she almost passed. And I didn't mm. even realize it at the time because things were happening so fast. Things were so kind of intense, but uh, she had to get hospitalized. It, it, I think it was called meta numavirus. Do you know, have you heard that? Mm. It's a, re- uh, okay. heard it's, that. Uh, it's actually, it can be something that just causes the common cold. It's a respiratory virus that causes upper respiratory infections. It, it can cause severe pneumonia, usually in old, older people. But um, she got it. And it was after I, I had her by myself for, for about a week as her mother was traveling. And um, she was sick that week. And but I was, I was, you know, we were, we, she was, she was okay. She was just, you know, it was just like a cold stuff. And I was having trouble hydrating her. I remember, uh, you know, a lot of talks with the doctor about how different ways I can hydrate her. But like by the end of the week when her mother got home, she seemed like she was good. And um, I had a charity event that night and the charity event involved drinking. It was actually like this bar crawl where there was like making, I don't know. It definitely, you know, was, I was out. Uh, but it was for a good cause. And I just get a call like halfway through the evening that they were on the way to hospital. Something's very, very wrong. She can't keep liquids down. That You know what that was, though? At that point, that was a wake-up call because I thought like I handled things so well during the, during the mm-hmm. week that like you're never off duty when you have a child. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Like it's yep. like I was like, look, uh, this is um, – I I love to talk about how it was for a good cause because it was, but I was out drinking, and so like I'm out there, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm finally having fun for the first time of the week. It was a hard week, but then just boom, all of a sudden I am like running to the hospital, and we get there, and the doctors aren't sure really what was going on. There's like all these like all of a sudden they're pricking her with everything, they're putting tubes in everywhere. It's just all happening so fast, and they they aren't really sure what's going on, but you know, they're stabilizing her. And, but for two days, her fevers are reaching like nightmarish places. It's, it's just, there was one point and I'll just never forget this where, you know, I, we actually were pretty good. I was cuddling her during the night. She's sleeping on me. And all of a sudden something turned and the buzzers happened in the room. And all of a sudden all these nurses come in and they start packing us because I was holding her in ice and my daughter's on me and she's screaming. She must have been two and a half, so she could speak well. Mm-hmm. She's screaming, Daddy, where's my daddy? Where's my daddy? And I'm she's in my she's oh my in my God. arms. And she's looking for me. Like she's like it's like whatever was happening in her mind was so messed up. And they're packing her, yeah. like they're packing us in ice, like the whole like bed we were in was being packed in ice. Um and to make matters worse or more kind of like intense was we were on, um, they put us in a ward, uh, a wing of the hospital that was housed terminally ill children. And we, we were told we couldn't leave the room no matter what, because, you know, what she had could kill anyone in there is what they were saying. So they were walking oh, in with full like chemical resistance suits. I don't know the names of it. Like full hazmat. Full hazmat. Thank you very much. Hazmat. So every time they came in, it was like these full hazmat situations coming in to see us. And even when they came in with the ice, it was like fucking, it was like ET. They're coming in with like these, like it was so, everything was so, so intense. And so, like I said, I didn't know how bad it was. I, even with all that, you, you, you always think you're going to get through things, you know, our pediatrician uh, visited us at one point and he's, uh, he's kind of a matter of fact guy. He's, he's really intense. And I actually appreciate mm-hmm. that he is. I, I like having someone who's not, kind of dancing around things. Like if, if he needs something from us, he'll look us straight in the eye and like, you do this. Like, you know, you know, have you seen, you've seen what about Bob? Everyone's seen what about Bob, right? Oh yeah. He is the spitting image and personifies Dr. Leo Martin, who is oh, awesome. Richard Dreyfuss's character. I mean, they look exactly the same. It's, it's really crazy. So he came and visited us while, while we were in there and saw like everything we were dealing with and, you know, he actually went and gave advice to the doctor and, you know, kind of was on the peripheral working for us. We didn't realize how hard or what he was dealing with. But um, 
we went to see him a couple weeks later with Madeline after we got out. And fortunately, everything is okay. And he's he, he's like, I want to talk to you for a second, Mike, afterwards. And like he like kind of got all, and he's not this type of person. He got a little like almost emotional. He's like, I, I can't believe she's here. And I'm like, wait, what? And he's like, when I visited you guys in the hospital, I thought you, like, I thought for sure from everything I knew what's going on that you were losing your daughter. And like, as bad as I knew things were, like, that just like blew my mind wide open. Oh, totally. I was like, because if he thought that, that's like, that was, we were in depths of, of concern. I had no idea we were at. And that just, that like forever in that moment, those two days have, uh, truly haunted me and and in a way that just like i realized how fast something so special can be taken from you and and it just it's it's you know not that you need a reminder when you have a child you have a relationship you care about you know that you don't need to take for granted but it is amazing how uh you know getting lucky in some serious situations can can be that slap in the face like look what you have man look what you have yeah it's I think in I'm pausing as I'm saying this, but I think currently in the way that the world is today Mm. and the way that social media and everything is today, I think none of us can ever, ever have that excuse of, wow, I just I I didn't realize that I really needed (laughs) to pay attention to the relationships of the people that I love and you know, they're really like, it takes five minutes on Twitter, not even that long, it takes 30 seconds on Twitter, or a couple minutes on the news or whatever for you to realize more and more today, like, (laughs) everything is just even that it seems that much more fleeting, and that much more craziness is around, not just like, if I'm going to poke you as a bear a little bit, Mm. um, not just in like global warming and (laughs) all of that, like humongous big picture items. Mm. But, you know, I, my wife, I'm really having to push her in this day to go to a concert anymore. Mm. She's got that level of fear now because of how dangerous Things are, I mean, not even just to leave our, I'm not even talking about that part of leaving our kids somewhere, but for her to be somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I have to admit, like when we, the last couple concerts that we've been to, I've been on that kind of heightened alert, like looking, not that I'm going to go into John McClane mode or anything, but I need to feel like I'm aware of what is going on around me and the world is a much scarier place. So yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, and you know, not to go off on a tangent on that, it just, it, it is amazing that places I've looked to for sanity and for uh, cathartic release, such as a movie theater, mm-hmm. as we saw in Colorado or as a, a concert venue. Um, these are places that aren't, are just as vulnerable or even more so because they're assemblage of people. I, uh, yeah. I was at a, a concert. I went to see the lead singer of The National and his project the night of uh, – we had just heard of Paris, uh, what happened in mm. Paris. That night, I, I, you know, I roll up to the concert and there's news vans out in front and I'm you know, kind of feeling weird about being out anyways after what's going on and going to a concert. But I was also having this moment like, you know, they, fuck them. They can't keep me from this. Yeah. But – that evening, the NYPD came in and they were doing this to other venues. There was cops along the sides of the wall. And I'm not talking just a couple, almost lining the sides of the walls of the, wow. of the Bowery Ballroom, which is an institution in New York. And so yeah. you're trying to enjoy this concert. But in the market mind, you're thinking about how many people have lost their lives in a similar situation. You're looking at yeah. all the cops and it's just like the, the world has changed. And it is, yeah. and it is something, you know. But to circle back to a better place, you were saying how technology does allow you through witnessing what's going on in the world. You know, technology presents a lot of problems for parents, but it also allows us to know how lucky we are because certain people are struggling in this way or how, you know, 
there's so much information that tells us we should be grateful for what we have. We should be grateful for every minute that this is all fleeting. And yeah. as scary as the idea of that's all, it is all fleeting is, it's also, it makes you stay in the moment. It makes you, makes that hug mean a little something more. It makes you, mm-hmm. makes that love, uh, uh, you know, a little deeper. And, and that's important too. And, you know, so there is, there is a, a byproduct of adversity that's, that's pretty potent and positive and kind of wonderful at times too. Yeah, it definitely can give you that extra little invigoration to the things that you do take on and go out for in your yeah. life to really kind of seize them a little bit more as well. Yeah, no question about it. It's yeah, yeah. I don't I don't I don't take it all at all for granted, especially with, with the little lady. It's you know, and you mentioned climate change, you know, it's a uh, passion of mine and I, uh, you know, I do see there's, there's articles written now and, and discussion amongst, you know, higher minds about people are not making the decision not to become parents because they're worried about the world that they would bring mm-hmm. their kids into. And that is something I definitely understand. I definitely understand why if you are aware of the science of climate change, which is real, and you, you you worry about what the world can be in the next 30, 40 years, why that would give you pause. Totally. But I mean, on my end, you know, knowing the science as well as I do also, there's still hope. And like, there's still, and like, I actually, I, I think I mentioned earlier, I have um, an environmental uh, science background. I'm, I'm an arborist. I studied forestry in school, you know, it's something, the science I'm fully aware of. As bad as it is and as bleak as it is with the warming of the atmosphere and everything, like people deal with adversity, even some of the times when people think we, we can't bounce back or, or not. I've seen things in nature where, whether it's coral reefs or, or just like deforest areas of uh, you know vegetation, like nature's so powerful too, that if we do turn the tide of this, there's so much hope out there too. And so- I don't think it's mm-hmm. it's it's such a bleak end to this whole thing, and and I'm gonna fight to help make this world uh, a livable place for my daughter. But at the same time, yeah. I can't imagine a world living living in a world without her in it. At this point, mm-hmm. I, mean, I wouldn't want to live in a world without her in it. Yeah, I think that would make the quote unquote bleakness that much more yeah. bleak. Absolutely, you know. And I, like I know, you know, as as much as you think about what might face the younger generations, uh, I I mean, I think I've shown her enough joy. She's found enough joy in like seven years that she would, if she had the choice, she would she would have wanted to be birthed into the world and wanted to be there. Yeah. And as far as my yeah. uh, on, on my end, I I mean, I, I like I said, I couldn't imagine her not being here and 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 what she's given to me and what I've learned through having her and in our interactions is just bountiful. It's just, it's just everything to me. I remember, I want to say one more thing. The, uh, there was a family friend of mine and um, I was on the verge of, of having Madeline and I was up down, I was in uh, San, I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it was for this uh, birthday party of uh, these family friends. They're, they're kind of oil guys, but they're, they're good. They're good people. And they're from Texas. They're uh, they were having their 60th, they're twins. They were having their 60th birthday together. And these, these guys party. So there's all these like 60 year olds and 65 year olds and they're all like puffing and like kind of like partying and stuff. And I remember texting all my friends that night. I was even younger than I am now. I was like 33. And uh, I'm texting my friends. I'm like, yo, there's life at 60. Like these people are like, you know, like having the best time ever. <laughs> there's hope. There's hope. <laughs> but one of, one of, one of the guys, one of the brothers took me aside at one point and like, you know, he wanted to talk to me about how I was feeling about, you know, having a child and everything. And I'll just never forget it. He like looked me in the eye and he, he was so sincere and he was so genuine. And he's like, look, I will tell you this. And he just had one child as I have one child now. And he's like, I don't mean to be high horsey, but to me, it would be half a life. Like literally half a life if I never had a child. He's like, what mm-hmm. I've learned, what I've grown from, like what I've become, what I've seen, what I've experienced would be 
entirely half a life if that didn't happen. And he's like, I know you're nervous. I'm sure you're excited, but I know you're nervous. And, and this whole thing He's like, but, but it's, he's like, what's coming is, is really, really something special. And he's like, it's just kind of get ready. Not in that, like buckle up, get ready, but like get excited. Get right. Excited. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that was special. That's so right on. I mean, that's like, I've talked about this with friends before that, you it's kind of like the humans only use 10% of their brain thing or whatever. And you kind of open yep. that up because really like you have not experienced love like you do once your child is here and not, nobody else, it, even when you have multiple kids and you know, you said you have just your yeah. little girl and it it was I had had people tell me that before, and it was kind of like, really, how am I gonna, how's that gonna be yeah. different? Like I I was kind of skeptical, but it is just how much more love you can feel and experience when you have a child, and and everything that goes along with that, the ups and the oh, downs right. of it, the protectiveness and the openness of it. But I I do believe that like like he was telling you that you've only lived half of your life. You've only experienced usage of so much of the love in your heart until you have your own child. And that just blows everything out of the water. I mentioned it earlier as just like pulling your heart out of your body and that heart, that beating heart becoming a living, breathing being. Mm -hmm. That's what I, that's what I, that's when I see her. That's what I feel like. It's just like I, I yeah. need that is the most important thing. And that's crazy. That's the love you're talking about that you might not understand. I do hate to be high horsey to any sort of person who hasn't had a child. Because I think you can understand, you know, some deep love. But I think, you know, people who have, uh, have children can really understand what we're talking about here. Um, yeah. I do. It does make me giggle a little bit. The people who on Father's Day, Mother's Days, things like that, post like their dog yeah. or their <laughs> yeah. cat and say, I, I'm, a, I'm just like you human yeah. parents. I've got my, I've got my dog and I know exactly <laughs> yeah. what you feel like. And you're like, uh, maybe yeah. not the same. No, I, I was I might have been that guy, uh, but I was I was young at that <laughs> point. I mean, I had a, a dog that I'd love to pieces i had her for 15 years I, I i got her when i first moved to uh blacksburg virginia and i had her all the way mm. i traveled with her to massachusetts to california back to new york she was like kind of my first daughter and like i loved her that mm -hmm. the, the day she passed was one of the hardest ever i remember i remember my daughter yeah, now sure. like petting her like in the elevator as, as my dog's dying in my arms the whole thing and that was like that was that was like my first love in that arena but, but yeah. like you're saying, it just as deep as that was, and it was, it was profound. Oh, totally. So real. And like, that's like, you know, there's, you can't take away that from them, but you know, you know, a, a human is a little bit different. No offense to dogs and cats. No offense to dogs and cats. Or all their pets. Like yeah. we don't want to leave out other pets. There's other <laughs> totally. iguanas. Yeah. There's like iguanas. Who knows? Ferrets. Yeah, people love ferrets. Guinea pigs, whatever. Ah. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. This has really been like kind of like a journey of its own. I'm it really has. I'm so glad we got to do this. Thank you. I know we were planning on it for a while, and I just I want to say thank you because I've listened to many of your episodes and to be along the um to be a part of the collection of fathers that you have amassed and and the stories that you have uh, told in your things, it's, it's, it's an honor. So yeah. I really, really appreciate it, Tim. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And that, like I say all the time, I get so much out of these episodes and out of these conversations with so many dads. And even the people who are like, you know, I'll, some of my friends will ask me, oh, you're recording a podcast. Who is it with? Is it with a celebrity? Is it with an athlete or whatever? And, mm -hmm. you know, the one, I always tell them, like, the one, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm sure there are some people that do not have quote unquote amazing stories to tell and they may have lived a very vanilla life or whatever, but even people who have not scaled Kilimanjaro and been dipped in the liquid hot magma <laughs> of a volcano, magma. everybody has 
a story to tell of yeah. their their dad, their relationship with their dad, them being a father and how they do that in their unique life. And all of those have merit to them. And I have learned something from every single one of my guests and you definitely are no exception. So mm-hmm. I'm really happy that this happened. Fantastic. Thank you again. It means a lot to be on here and uh, a lot of fun. And I will be tuning in moving forward. You're, you're, this is this is great. Thanks so much. Thank you. So before we go, uh, where can people, where can and should people look for you at? Oh, great. First and foremost, my Babies Besides My Daughter is Across the Margin. That is the uh, arts and culture online magazine that I run. So it's acrossthemargin.com. And then there's the associated podcast for that, Across the Margin, the podcast, which is part of the Osiris Network, where uh, we have some pretty weighty conversations. Uh, We have... uh, Yeah. You know, we talked earlier about um, Welcome to the Party, the film and television podcast I'm a part of, and Godwin Evan. But the one that I really, you know, lean into the hardest is ATM, the podcast. It's a place where we talk to as many fascinating storytellers and artists as possible and try to explore weighty and important topics. Uh, Check that out and then check out uh, Welcome to the Party and Godwin Evan. Just check out everything at Osiris Pod. Dot com. Yeah. And on Twitter, you are where? Oh, so at ac- Across the Margin and at Mike Shizza, M-I-K-E-S-H-Z-A. That's my personal one. And then at Across the Margin. So everybody, make sure you check out the great Mike Shields and all of those places. And um, you can subscribe and find those podcasts. So thanks again, Michael. Yep. Thank you so much. And that ends my conversation with Mike Shields. A big thank you to Mike again for his time and his efforts at making this happen, as well as continuing the ball rolling, because Mike actually brought me Evan Kaufman, who I had on previously, and now I have finally recorded with Mike. And then you'll just all have to wait and see where it goes from there. All those little tendrils that come out from my guests, which is what keeps the ball rolling and makes this work so well. So again, I would encourage you guys to let me know of any guests you want me to have on, whether that's you as a dad, whether it's your dad, whether it's the guy you work with who is a dad or whatever it may be. So you can send me those notes either at daddyunscripted at gmail.com or you can link up with me on social media. It's daddy unscripted, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and you can also find daddyunscripted.com where the actual site is. And if you go back there, there's some really old blog posts before this was even a podcast, which is kind of cool. Oh, and I should say really quickly, I want to make sure that you guys are aware there is a companion piece post on daddyunscripted.com that has some additional photos and some additional writings and information about and by Michael. So I really want to make sure that you guys know that's there. Go to daddyunscripted.com and find that and read a little bit more of Michael's work and about what all of the different things that he does. I would also love for you guys to, if you haven't yet, go back in and subscribe to the podcast so you get all the episodes as they are released. I'm trying to be a lot more diligent with releasing an episode every two to three weeks. So far, so good. So make sure that you guys are totally open to helping with that process. You guys so far have brought me some really cool guests, so I do absolutely appreciate that. And as I always say... Big thanks to Umphreys McGee again for allowing this music that you're kind of hearing in the background, but you've also heard in other parts of the podcast. This is all Umphreys McGee. So check them out at umphreys.com. And I've told you all the different places that you can check out podcasts, but make sure that you do check out osirispod.com to find not only all of the podcasts that Michael is involved with, and learn more about those but all of the other podcasts that are on there there's so many really good ones so make sure you go to osirispod.com to check those out and again osiris podcast network is partnered with relics magazine so make sure you check relics.com for the music news that you need in your life and i will tell you now as i welcomed all of you in french 
I will now bid you adieu, which I'm actually going to do by saying buongiorno, which is have a nice day. Have a great day, everybody. Sincerely, I mean that. And welcome to the new year. May 2019 be awesome for all of us. And keep your eye out for the next episode, which should be coming out within the next two weeks or so. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.